I find no such theology in the New Testament. I hear Jesus saying to sinners, Come, repent, believe, labor, ask, seek, knock. I see plainly that our salvation from first to last is entirely of God. But I see with no less plainness that our ruin, if lost, is wholly and entirely of ourselves. I maintain that sinners are always addressed as accountable and responsible, and I want no better proof of this than is contained in the word strive. Strive teaches that a man must expect many adversaries and a hard battle if he would have his soul saved. And this, as a matter of experience, is strictly true. There are no gains without pains in spiritual things any more than in temporal. That roaring lion, the devil, will never let a soul escape from him without a struggle. The heart, which is naturally sensual and earthly, will never be turned to spiritual things without a daily fight. The world, with all its opposition and temptations, will never be overcome without a conflict. But why should all this surprise us? What great and good thing was ever done without trouble? Wheat does not grow without plowing and sowing. Riches are not obtained without care and attention. Success in life is not one without hardships and toil. And heaven, above all, is not to be reached without the cross and the battle. The violent take the kingdom by force. Matthew 11:12. A man must strive. Strive teaches that it is worthwhile for a man to seek salvation. That may well be said. If there be anything that deserves a struggle in this world, it is the prosperity of the soul. The objects for which the great majority of men strive are comparatively poor and trifling things. Riches and greatness and rank and learning are a corruptible crown. The incorruptible things are all within the straight gate. The peace of God which passeth all understanding, the bright hope of good things to come, the sense of the Spirit dwelling in us, the consciousness that we are pardoned, safe, ready, insured, provided for in time and eternity, whatever may happen. These are true gold and durable riches. Well, may the Lord Jesus call on us to strive. Strive teaches that laziness in religion is a great sin. It is not merely a misfortune, as some fancy, a thing for which people are to be pitied and a matter for regret. It is something far more than this. It is a breach of a plain commandment. What shall be said of the man who transgresses God's law and does something which God says, Thou shalt not do? There can be but one answer. He is a sinner. Sin is the transgression of the law. First John 3, 4 And what shall be said of the man who neglects his soul and 
makes no effort to enter the straight gate. There can be only one reply. He is omitting a positive duty. Christ says to him, Strive! And behold, he sits still. Strive teaches that all outside the straight gate are in great danger. They are in danger of being lost forever. There is but a step between them and death. If death finds them in their present condition, they will perish without hope. The Lord Jesus saw that clearly. He knew the uncertainty of life and the shortness of time. He would fain have sinners make haste and delay not, lest they put off soul business too late. He speaks as one who saw the devil drawing near to them daily and the days of their life gradually ebbing away. He would have them take heed. They be not too late. Therefore he cries, Strive. That word strive raises solemn thoughts in my mind. It is brimful of condemnation for thousands of baptized persons. It condemns the ways and practices of multitudes who profess and call themselves Christians. Many there are who neither swear nor murder nor commit adultery, nor steal nor lie. But one thing unhappily cannot be said of them. They cannot be said to strive to be saved. The spirit of slumber possesses their hearts and everything that concerns religion. About the things of the world they are active enough. They rise early and late take rest. They labor, they toil, they are busy, they are careful. But about the one thing needful, they never strive at all. What shall I say of those who are irregular about public worship on Sundays? There are thousands all over Great Britain who answer this description. Sometimes, if they feel disposed, they go to some church or chapel and attend a religious service. At other times, they stay at home and read the paper or idle about, or look over their accounts or seek some amusement. Is this striving? I speak to men of common sense. Let them judge what I say. What shall I say of those who come regularly to a place of worship, but come entirely as a matter of form? There are many in every parish of great Britain in this condition. Their fathers taught them to come. Their custom has always been to come. It would not be respectable to stay away. But they care nothing for the worship of God when they do come, whether they hear law or gospel, truth or error, it is all the same to them. They remember nothing afterwards. They put off their form of religion with their Sunday clothes and return to the world. And is this striving? I speak to men of common sense. Let them judge what I say. What shall I say of those who seldom or never read the Bible? There are thousands of persons, I fear, who answer this description. 
They know the book by name. They know it is commonly regarded as the only book which teaches us how to live and how to die. But they can never find time for reading it. Newspapers, reviews, novels, romances, they can read, but not the Bible. And is this striving to enter in? I speak to men of common sense. Let them judge what I say. What shall I say of those who never pray? There are multitudes, I firmly believe, in this condition. Without God they rise in the morning, and without God they lie down at night. They ask nothing. They confess nothing. They return thanks for nothing. They seek nothing. They are all dying creatures, and yet they are not even on speaking terms with their Maker and their Judge. And this is striving. I speak to men of common sense. Let them judge what I say. It is a solemn thing to be a minister of the gospel. It is a painful thing to look on and notice the ways of mankind in spiritual matters. We hold in our hands that great statute book of God which declares that without repentance and conversion and faith in Christ and holiness, no man living can be saved. In discharge of our office, we urge on men to repent, believe, and be saved. But alas, how frequently we have to lament that our labor seems all in vain. Men attend our churches and listen and approve, but do not strive to be saved. We show the sinfulness of sin. We unfold the loveliness of Christ. We expose the vanity of the world. We set forth the happiness of Christ's service. We offer the living water to the wearied and heavy-laden sons of toil. But alas, how often we seem to speak to the winds. Our words are patiently heard on Sundays. Our arguments are not refuted. But we see plainly in the week that men are not striving to be saved. There comes the devil on Monday morning and offers his countless snares. There comes the world and holds out its seeming prizes. Our hearers Follow them greedily. They work hard for this world's goods. They toil at Satan's bidding. But for the one thing needful, they will not strive at all. I am not writing from hearsay. I speak what I have seen. I write down the result of thirty-seven years' experience in the ministry. I have learned lessons about human nature during that period which I never knew before. I have seen how true are our Lord's words about the narrow way. I have discovered how few there are that strive to be saved. Earnestness about temporal matters is common enough. Striving to be rich and prosperous in this world is not rare at all. Pains about money and business and politics 
pains about trade and science and fine arts and amusements, pains about rent and wages and labor and land, pains about such matters I see in abundance both in town and country. But I see few who take pains about their souls. I see few anywhere who strive to enter in at the straight gate. I am not surprised at all this. I read in the Bible that it is only what I am to expect. The parable of the Great Supper is an exact picture of things that I have seen with my own eyes ever since I became a minister. Luke 14.16 I find, as my Lord and Savior tells me, that men make excuse. One has his piece of land to see, another has his oxen to prove, a third has his family hindrances. But all this does not prevent my feeling deeply grieved for the souls of men. I grieve to think that they should have eternal life so close to them and yet be lost because they will not strive to enter in and be saved. I know not in what state of soul many readers of this paper may be. But I warn you to take heed that you do not perish forever for want of striving. Do not suppose that it needs some great scarlet sin to bring you to the pit of destruction. You have only to sit still and do nothing and you will find yourself there at last. Yes, Satan does not ask you to walk in the steps of Cain and Pharaoh and Ahab and Belshazzar and Judas Iscariot. There is another road to hell quite as sure, the road of spiritual indolence, spiritual laziness, and spiritual sloth. Satan has no objection to your being a respectable member of the Christian church. He will let you pay your tithes and rates and pew rents. He will allow you to sit comfortably in church every Sunday you live. He knows full well that so long as you do not strive, you must come at last to the worm that never dies and the fire that is not quenched. Take heed that you do not come to this end. I repeat it. You have only to do nothing, and you will be lost. If you have been taught to strive for your soul's prosperity, I entreat you never to suppose you can go too far. Never give way to the idea that you are taking too much trouble about your spiritual condition and that there is no need for so much carefulness. Settle it rather in your mind that in all labor there is profit, and that no labor is so profitable as that bestowed on the soul. It is the maxim among good farmers that the more they do for the land, the more the land does for them. I am sure it should be a maxim among Christians that the more they do for their religion, the more their religion will do for them. What against the slightest inclination to be careless about any means of grace. 
Beware of shortening your prayers, your Bible reading, your private communion with God. Take heed that you do not give way to a thoughtless, lazy manner of using the public services of God's house. Fight against any rising disposition to be sleepy, critical, and fault-finding while you listen to the preaching of the gospel. Whatever you do for God, do it with all your heart and mind and strength. In other things, be moderate and dread running into extremes. In soul matters, fear moderation just as you would fear the plague. Care not what men think of you. Let it be enough for you that your master says, Strive. 3. The last thing I wish to consider in this paper is the awful prophecy which the Lord Jesus delivers. He says, Many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When shall this be? At what period shall the gate of salvation be shut forever? When shall striving to enter be of no use? These are serious questions. The gate is now ready to open to the chief of sinners. But a day comes when it shall open no more. The time foretold by our Lord is the time of His own second coming to judge the world. The long-suffering of God will at last have an end. The throne of grace will at length be taken down and the throne of judgment shall be set up in its place. The fountain of living waters shall at length be closed. The straight gate shall at last be barred and bolted. The day of grace will be passed and over. The day of reckoning with a sin-laden world shall at length begin. And then shall be brought to pass the solemn prophecy of the Lord Jesus. Many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. All prophecies of Scripture that have been fulfilled hitherto have been fulfilled to the very letter. They have seemed to many unlikely, improbable, impossible, up to the very time of their accomplishment, but not one word of them has ever failed. The promises of good things have come to pass in spite of difficulties that seemed insuperable. Sarah had a son when she was past bearing. The children of Israel were brought out of Egypt and planted in the promised land. The Jews were redeemed from the captivity of Babylon after seventy years and enabled once more to build the temple. The Lord Jesus was born of a pure virgin, lived, ministered, was betrayed and cut off precisely as Scripture foretold. The Word of God was pledged in all these cases that it should be, and so it was. The predictions of judgments on cities and nations have come to pass, though at the time they were first spoken, they seemed incredible. Egypt is the basis of kingdoms. Edom is a wilderness. Tyre is a rock for drying nets. Nineveh 
that exceeding great city is laid waste and become a desolation. Babylon is a dry land and a wilderness. Her broad walls are utterly broken down. The Jews are scattered over the whole earth as a separate people. In all these cases, the word of God foretold that it should be so. And so it was. The prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I press on your attention this day, shall be fulfilled in like manner. Not one word of it shall fail when the time of its accomplishment is due. Many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. There is a time coming when seeking God shall be useless. Oh, that men would remember that. Too many seem to fancy that the hour will never arrive when they shall seek and not find. But they are sadly mistaken. They will discover their mistake one day to their own confusion, except they repent. When Christ comes, many shall seek to enter in and not be able. There is a time coming when many shall be shut out from heaven forever. It shall not be the lot of a few, but of a great multitude. It shall not happen to one or two in this parish and one or two in that, it shall be the miserable end of a vast crowd. Many will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. Knowledge shall come to many too late. They shall see at last the value of an immortal soul, and the happiness of having it saved. They shall understand at last their own sinfulness and God's holiness, and the glorious fitness of the gospel of Christ, they shall comprehend at last why ministers seemed so anxious and preached so long, and entreated them so earnestly to be converted. But alas, they shall know all this too late. Repentance shall come to many too late. They shall discover their own exceeding wickedness and be thoroughly ashamed of their past folly. They shall be full of bitter regret and unavailing lamentations, of keen convictions and of piercing sorrows. They shall weep and wail and mourn when they reflect on their sins. The remembrance of their lives will be grievous to them. The burden of their guilt will seem intolerable. But alas! Like Judas Iscariot, they will repent too late. Faith shall come to many too late. They will no longer be able to deny that there is a God and a devil, a heaven and a hell. Deism and skepticism and infidelity shall be laid aside forever. Scoffing and jesting and free thinking shall cease. They will see with their own eyes and feel in their own bodies that the things of which ministers spoke were not cunningly devised fables, but great real truths. They will find out to their cost that evangelical religion was not cant, extravagance, fanaticism, and enthusiasm. They will discover that it was the one thing needful, and that for want of it they are lost forever. Like the devil... They will at length believe and tremble 
but too late. A desire of salvation shall come to many too late. They shall long after pardon and peace and the favor of God when they can no more be had. They will wish they might have one more Sunday over again, have one more offer of forgiveness, have one more call to prayer. But it will matter nothing what they think or feel or desire then. The day of grace will be over. The gate of salvation will be bolted and barred. It will be too late. I often think what a change there will be one day in the price and estimation at which things are valued. I look around this world in which my lot is cast. I mark the current price of everything this world contains. I look forward to the coming of Christ and the great day of God. I think of the new order of things which that day will bring in. I read the words of the Lord Jesus when he describes the master of the house rising up and shutting the door. And as I read, I say to myself, there will be a great change soon. What are the dear things now? Gold, silver, precious stones, banknotes, mines, ships, lands, houses, horses, carriages, furniture, meat, drink, clothes, and the like. These are the things that are thought valuable. These are the things that command a ready market. These are the things which you can never get below a certain price. He that has much of these things is counted a wealthy man. Such is the world. And what are the cheap things now? The knowledge of God, the free salvation of the gospel, the favor of Christ, the grace of the Holy Ghost, the privilege of being God's Son, the title to eternal life, the right to the tree of life, the reversion of a mansion in heaven, the promises of an incorruptible inheritance, the offer of a crown of glory that fadeth not away. These are the things that no man hardly cares for. They are offered to the sons of men without money and without price. They may be had for nothing, freely and gratuitously. Whosoever will may take his portion. But alas, there is no demand for these things. They go a-begging. They are scarcely looked at. They are offered in vain. Such is the world. But a day is coming upon us all when the value of everything shall be altered. A day is coming when banknotes shall be as useless as rags and gold shall be as worthless as the dust of the earth. A day is coming when thousands shall care nothing for the things for which they once lived and shall desire nothing so much as the things which they once despised. The halls and palaces will be forgotten in the desire of a house not made with hands. The favor of the rich and great 
will be no more remembered in the longing for the favor of the King of Kings. The silks and satins and velvets and laces will be lost sight of in the anxious want of the robe of Christ's righteousness. All shall be altered, all shall be changed in the great day of the Lord's return. Many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. It was a weighty saying of some wise man that hell is truth known too late. I fear that thousands of professing Christians in this day will find this out by experience. They will discover the value of their souls when it is too late to obtain mercy and see the beauty of the gospel when they can derive no benefit from it. Oh, that men would be wise betimes. I often think there are few passages of Scripture more awful than that in the first chapter of Proverbs. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have set up not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. Proverbs 1, verses 24 to 31. Some reader of this paper may be one of those who neither like the faith nor practice which the gospel of Christ requires. You think us extreme when we beseech you to repent and be converted? You think we ask too much when we urge you to come out from the world and take up the cross and follow Christ. But take notice that you will one day confess that we were right. Sooner or later in this world or the next, you will acknowledge that you were wrong. Yes, it is a melancholy consideration for the faithful minister of the gospel that all who hear him will one day allow that his counsel was good, mocked, despised, scorned, neglected as his testimony may be on earth. A day is coming which shall prove effectually that truth was on his side. The rich man who hears us and yet makes a god of this world, the tradesman who hears us and yet makes his ledger his Bible, the farmer who hears us and yet remains cold as the clay on his land, the laborer, who hears us and feels no more for his soul than a stone. All, all will at length acknowledge before the world that they were wrong. All will at length desire earnestly that very mercy which we now set before them in vain. They will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Some reader of this paper 
may be one of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Such an one may well take comfort when he looks forward. You often suffer persecution now for your religion's sake. You have to bear hard words and unkind insinuations. Your motives are often misrepresented and your conduct slandered. The reproach of the cross has not ceased. But you may well take courage when you look forward and think of the Lord's second coming. That day shall make amends for all. You will see those who now laugh at you because you read the Bible and pray and love Christ in a very different state of mind. They will come to you as the foolish virgins came to the wise, saying, Give us of your oil, because our lamps are gone out. Matthew 25, 8 You will see those who now hate you and call you fools, because, like Caleb and Joshua, you bring up a good report of Christ's service, altered and changed and no longer like the same men. They will say, Oh, that we had taken part with you. You have been the truly wise, and we the foolish. Then fear not the reproach of men. Confess Christ boldly before the world. Show your colors, and be not ashamed of your Master. Time is short. Eternity hastens on. The cross is only for a little season. The crown is forever. Make sure work about that crown. Leave nothing uncertain. Many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And now, let me offer to everyone who reads this paper a few parting words in order to apply the whole subject to his soul. You have heard the words of the Lord Jesus unfolded and expounded. You have seen the picture of the way of salvation. It is a straight gate. You have heard the command of the king, strive to enter in. You have been told of his solemn warning, many shall seek to enter in and shall not be able. Bear with me a little longer while I try to impress the whole matter on your conscience. I have yet something to say on God's behalf. One, for one thing, I will ask you a plain question. Have you entered in at the straight gate or not? Old or young, rich or poor, churchman or dissenter, I repeat my question. Have you entered in at the straight gate? I ask not whether you have heard of it and believe there is a gate. I ask not whether you have looked at it and admired it and hoped one day to go in. I ask whether you have gone up to it, knocked at it, been admitted, and are now inside. If you are not inside, what good have you got from your religion? You are not pardoned and forgiven. You are not reconciled to God. You are not born again, sanctified, and meet for heaven. If you die as you are, the devil will have you forever, and your soul will be eternally miserable. Oh, think, 
think what a state this is to live in. Think, think above all things what a state this is to die in. Your life is but a vapor. A few more years at most and you are gone. Your place in the world will soon be filled up. Your house will be occupied by another. The sun will go on shining. The grass and daisies will soon grow thick over your grave. Your body will be food for worms, and your soul will be lost to all eternity. And all this time there stands open before you a gate of salvation. God invites you. Jesus Christ offers to save you. All things are ready for your deliverance. One thing only is wanting and that is that you should be willing to be saved. Oh, think of these things and be wise. Two, for another thing, I will give plain advice to all who are not yet inside the straight gate. That advice is simply this, to enter in without a day's delay. Tell me, if you can, of anyone who ever reached heaven excepting through the straight gate, I know of none. From Abel, the first who died, down to the end of the list of Bible names, I see none saved by any way but that of faith in Christ. Tell me, if you can, of anyone who ever entered in at the straight gate without striving, I know of none excepting those who die in infancy. He that would win heaven must be content to fight for it. Tell me, if you can, of anyone who ever strove earnestly to enter and failed to succeed. I know of none. I believe that however weak and ignorant men may be, they never seek life heartily and conscientiously at the right door and are left without an answer of peace. Tell me, if you can, of anyone who ever entered in at the straight gate and was afterwards sorry. I know of none. I believe the footsteps on the threshold of that gate are all one way. All have found it a good thing to serve Christ and have never regretted taking up His cross. If these things are so, seek Christ without delay and enter in at the gate of life while you can. Make a beginning this very day. Go to that merciful and mighty Savior in prayer and pour out your heart before Him. Confess to Him your guilt and wickedness and sin. Unbosom yourself freely to Him. Keep nothing back. Tell Him, that you cast yourself and all your soul's affairs wholly on his hands and ask him to save you according to his promise and put his Holy Spirit within you. There is everything to encourage you to do this. Thousands as bad as you have applied to Christ in this way and not one of them has been sent away and refused. They have found a peace of conscience they never knew before and have gone on their way rejoicing. 
They have found strength for all the trials of life, and none of them have been allowed to perish in the wilderness. Why should not you also seek Christ? There is everything to encourage you to do what I tell you at once. I know no reason why your repentance and conversion should not be as immediate as that of others before you. The Samaritan woman came to the well an ignorant sinner and returned to her home a new creature. The Philippian jailer turned from darkness to light and became a professed disciple of Christ in a single day. And why should not others do the same? Why should not you give up your sins and lay hold on Christ this very day? I know that the advice I have given you is good. The grand question is, will you take it? 3. The last thing I have to say shall be a request to all who have really entered in at the straight gate. That request is that you will tell others of the blessings which you have found. I want all converted people to be missionaries. I do not want them all to go out to foreign lands and preach to the heathen, but I do want all to be of a missionary spirit and to strive to do good at home. I want them to testify to all around them that the straight gate is the way to happiness and to persuade them to enter in by it. When Andrew was converted, he found his brother Peter and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. John 1, 41 and 42 When Philip was converted, he found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. John 1, 45 and 46 When the Samaritan woman was converted, she left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? John 4, 28 and 29 When Saul the Pharisee was converted, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Acts 9, 20 I long to see this kind of spirit among Christians in the present day. I long to see more zeal to commend the straight gate to all who are yet outside and more desire to persuade them to enter in and be saved. Happy indeed is that church whose members not only desire to reach heaven themselves, but desire also to take others with them. The great gate of salvation is yet ready to open, but the hour draws near when it will be closed forever. Let us work while it is called today, for the night cometh 
when no man can work. John 9 verse 4 Let us tell our relatives and friends that we have proved the way of life and found it pleasant, that we have tasted the bread of life and found it good. I have heard it calculated that if every believer in the world were to bring one soul to Christ each year, the whole human race would be converted in less than twenty years. I make no comment on such a calculation. Whether such a thing might be or not, one thing is sure. That thing is that many more souls might probably be converted to God if Christians were more zealous to do good. This, at least, we may remember, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 He that endeavors to show his neighbor the straight gate is doing a work which God approves. He is doing a work which angels regard with interest and with which the building of a pyramid will not compare in importance. What saith the scripture? He which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. James 5 verse 20 Let us all awaken to a deeper sense of our responsibility in this matter. Let us look round the circle of those among whom we live and consider their state before God. Are there not many of them yet outside the gate, unforgiven, unsanctified, and unfit to die? Let us watch for opportunities of speaking to them. Let us tell them of the straight gate and entreat them to strive to enter in. Who can tell what a word spoken in due season may do? Who can tell what it may do when spoken in faith and prayer? It may be the turning point in some man's history. It may be the beginning of thought, prayer, and eternal life. Oh, for more love and boldness among believers. Think what a blessing to be allowed to speak one converting word. I know not what the feelings of my readers may be on this subject. My heart's desire and prayer is that you may daily remember Christ's solemn words. Many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Keep these words in mind and then be careless about the souls of others if you can. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 450 